Hi, I'm Dr. Sedna Bokaria, and this is Leader Voices, a show about leaders and their infinite ability to change the world. Today, we're continuing our dream theme with a whole new dream team. I'm pleased to welcome two fascinating guests, one dreamer who is laughing his way to the top, and another who, in realizing her dream, is helping thousands of young students in Zambia realize their dreams. My first guest is the executive director for Project Educate, a nonprofit, non-governmental organization that's designed to help improve educational standards and infrastructure in the Southern African nation of Zambia. She's a remarkable woman. Here's Mbao Ngola. So you started off with this huge dream, and the dream was to improve education in Zambia. So tell me a little bit about why. What in your experience inspired you to focus on education in Zambia? I consider myself lucky to have had the privilege of going to school in my hometown. And I say it's a privilege because it allowed me the opportunity to see firsthand the challenges that uh, the education sector were, was, was facing. And so as I grew, as I got older, it is something that always stuck in my mind. What are we doing about education? What is the government doing? What are donors doing? What is the community doing? And so while I had dreams of my own, the one thing that I really wanted to be able to have an impact on was education because I knew coming from a family that emphasized education, I knew that there was great potential in terms of changing lives for not just young people, just everybody, not just in Zambia, but around the world. You started with this dream of providing two to three computers for a primary school. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Your primary uh, school. I was... The one you attended. My attend- primary yeah. school. The one I attended, Molambwa Primary School in Mongo. It's actually the largest primary school in, uh, in Mongo, but it's poorly funded. Uh, I went there. I remember the first time my dad, my dad took me there when I enrolled and the teacher said, oh, but she's too young. We can't take her. And uh, we used to have this really, really awkward way of selecting your first grade uh, students. They would have you put your arm over and if you could reach over and touch your ear on the other side, then you're in. But I was rather small. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I was rather small. And so they said, absolutely not. My father, who had been very, very intent on me and my sister learning how to read early, said, you know what? Give her your first grade book. Let her read it. Um, They gave me the book. And of course, I read it. Thanks really to Sesame Street, because believe it or not, I actually learned to read from Sesame Street. That's how I got into first grade. After that, I, 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 again, you have that background of a family emphasizing education. And then you go through this educational system and you realize there are so many gaps. I, I was fortunate to be able to go and live in the United States. And uh, one of the first things that struck me being in the U.S. was the amount of waste. 
I remember looking out my apartment window one day and there was a computer sitting out there and I was like, those Americans are crazy. <laughs> That's a perfectly fine computer. <laughs> And so there it started. Right then, I told myself, is it possible? I asked myself whether it was possible to move these resources from this place of plenty to a place of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so I set out wanting to send two, maybe three, if I got lucky, four or five computers to Zambia. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But um, I was really, really lucky. I ran across, or I came across uh, Fred Mennick, who's the founder and then executive director of Teachers Without Borders. And he believed in me. He said, I, Mao, I believe in what you're doing. It is similar to what I'm doing. I want to be able to help you. And so we partnered at the time with the Montgomery County Public School District. Mm -hmm. And we were really like, we got five hundred computers wow and I remember that day I, I could barely sleep <laughs> I was so excited and then immediately it was almost like boom wait a minute how are you sending these computers home wow. and so I was on the phone to Dr. Mednick and he said Mbao don't worry about it I have a friend of mine I want you to talk to and this guy was a guy named Mike Apinetta from DHL Express and he says, Mbao, nobody has ever come to us and said, we want to do something like this. We are behind you. We support you. And literally within a week, we had shipped 500 computers from Montgomery County to Mongo, Zambia. Just unbelievable. Now, I have a feeling that you didn't stop there. What was next? You achieved no. this dream. <laughs> you achieved your dream. <laughs> What happened next? <laughs> I, this is so true. I did that. And uh, immediately what was clear was that the schools did not have the capacity to manage, manage these computers. And so I, I, I just went out and flat out looking for people. Can I get somebody to go to Zambia and teach these, te uh, these teachers and students how to use computers? We managed to get that done. But even that was not the end of it. Uh, soon after that, we're able to send a 40-foot container of 35,000 books to the Mongo School District. So you could easily say for the first time, the schools in one of the poorest communities in the world had access not only to computers, they had access to books. They had access to volunteers who were willing to sit with them and help them manage these resources, which was just completely amazing and exciting for me. So no, we did not end there. Uh, we're still moving along with the project and it's, 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 it's quite exciting, quite exciting. Wow, so it sounds like you had a dream and you found partners that were interested in the same sector, that were passionate about this. You partnered with them versus like reinventing the wheel or starting from nothing, right? You identified people who could help you. And then you achieved that part of your dream and then kept dreaming. Absolutely. And, and, and I like what you say about um, not reinventing the wheel. It's one of my main things because when I set out, there was just me. I had this dream of sending these resources to my home country. But then 
you, you, you begin to implement programming and very, very quickly you begin to realize alone I am not enough. Mm-hmm. And thankfully for me, we had the internet, which I didn't have access to growing up. But in the U.S., I could walk into any library, which is exactly what I did. And I found these partners who were willing to invest their time and resources, not just into me, but into my community, which was really, really important. For me, that speaks to the power of partnerships and networks. So, yes, I... I I initially had these grandiose ideas, but then you begin to realize in the doing of things that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Perhaps all you need to do is make sure that the screws on your uh, wheel are tightened and that the it has enough air. And you begin to realize it works so much better when you just take care of the little stuff A star on its own is beautiful. If you look up at the night sky, a star on its own is beautiful. But when you take that one star and you view it in the context of the Milky Way, it is absolutely stunning. And so it is a star alone is one small thing, but in the context of that great bigger picture, it becomes that grandiose, big flashing neon sign that you've been looking at. So yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we just don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just take care of the little stuff. And you're talking about identifying the people, the partnerships, the people who can support you in achieving your dream and understanding that while one star is one star, when you kind of look at it in a broader macro perspective, you really are one star in a galaxy of stars. You must be touched by the the level of commitment and generosity your partners supported your dream in. Honestly, I could have not I could not have done any of this with without them. I mean, you think about this. I was this foreign girl, foreign black girl in America without any connections. I, I didn't have somebody to call and say, hey, can you do this for me? And yet I reached out to these people. And, and, and for me, it's part of what's important, not just the power of networks, but human connectivity, I think is really, really important. And I find that a lot of what I do is very much reliant on human connections. So tell me, what does it mean to really pursue one's dreams? Because it sounds like you were quite relentless in your pursuit and and you almost make it sound easy. Oh my God, I wish it was. It's it's definitely not easy. I I, I don't want anybody who's setting out believing that it's easy. It's certainly not easy. But I think uh, I was driven uh, by my purpose, what I believed then. And now to be my purpose, I think very, very important. I was relentless. This is really, really true. I I had this one friend of mine who during the time, my time, the time I was living in the U.S. lived, uh, I mean, he lived in, in, in Prague and lived in Chile and lived in all over the world. But this was the one person I could always go to and say, hey, I think I'm not getting this right. And I think we all need that in order for us to 
be relentless. We, we definitely need that one or two persons who we are able to bounce ideas off of. And if they're honest enough, like I was lucky enough to have this person in my life, they would always say, wait, Mel, think twice about this. Or yeah, absolutely, go ahead and do this. And what I found at the time was that leading, leadership, especially at the beginning, can be a very solitary journey. It doesn't have to be. We can surround ourselves with people who can actually help us uh, along the journey. So how do you stay focused on your dreams, on your path, your impact? Because there's so much need. And, and you talk about starting with computers and then going to, to essentially implementing the, the sustainable needs of training and making sure that the, the teachers and the students have the knowledge on how to operate the computers and anything else that comes with the logistical aspects of that. Yeah. So it's yeah. like one dream stems into another, right? It evolves. So how do you stay focused? Um, reality is I haven't always been focused. There were days I just felt like, you know what? I'm not doing this. Send me back home to the sun <laughs> and I'll be fine. But I think it, it's really, really important that we always keep in mind why we are doing this. And for me, once we had sent that initial shipment of computers and then we sent the books and then we had the volunteers and then we'd created all of these partnerships in those communities, there was the element of number one, you want to be able to continue with the work that you're doing because you can actually see it make a difference in the lives of people. Really, really important. It sort of validates you. I think anybody who's done something like this is going to tell you there's a lot of second guessing. But if you're doing it right and you're coming from a good place, a place of authenticity, you're going to find that the people that you serve validate you. Mm. And so for me, staying focused really was an issue of keeping in mind why I had set off wanting to do this. The reason I wanted to send those two or three computers was not just so that my school could have access to computers. The dream was bigger. Mm -hmm. How do I extend this to my community? If I can have some proof of concept, what does that do to my community? For me personally, it might be different for other people. It's the most important thing. Being able to start something, seeing it grow, and more importantly, seeing it have an impact on the lives of people you know actually need it. It's a lot of work. I, 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 I always say that there's not enough hours in a day. <laughs> but because it is something that you love to do, you wake up every morning and you do it. Granted, there are days when you just want to go home, have a glass of wine and fall asleep and not think about anything else. But you wake up the next morning and you pick yourself up and, hey, let's go. Let's do this. So, yes, I think purpose and validation that what you are doing is right. It's serving an actual need. That's incredible because in your response, it's like you're really giving us a, a great synopsis of balance and understanding how not to self-sabotage by understanding, hey, you know, I need a night yes. off. I need to have a glass of wine and just kind of decompress. 
but the why, the passion, the purpose is what continues. It never leaves, right? It continues to drive you, but you do find a way to focus on balancing that. So any advice that you have for listeners on how to balance, because there's so much need in so many different areas. And it's like, how do you balance? How do you know yourself and know when you need to say, hey, I need to take a day? So I think it's really, really, important to be cognizant of that yes the work that I'm doing is really really important it's serving a purpose but I am also important it's interesting to me that your response is that you literally burnt out before you recognize that it's important for you to find the balance and to to see those signs if you're sleeping all weekend or if you're constantly feeling exhausted then something needs to change. And it's not something with work, it's something within you. So, and within it makes you, you probably exactly. more productive, right? It, it does, absolutely. And, and I, in reality, looking back, we were only able, I was only able to design new programming after I had gone mad. Because initially the thinking in my head was, this is so important, I need to do this. And I had somehow convinced myself, if I don't do this, nobody else is going to do it, which which really was not true. What I needed to do was to take the time back, reset, reevaluate, and then in so doing, create myself anew, see the challenges in a different light. And that's, that's really how we've been able to stay ahead of everybody else in the community and and what we're doing. So really, really important. And I think a lot of listeners will really relate to this concept where they have this notion of, I just have to power through. I just have to get through this. I need to do this. No one else can do this. And I'm just going to power through and not delegate. Absolutely. I mean, my thing is you have a team. We have teams for a reason. Use them. Yes. Thank you. I think that's a, a great quote. You have teams for a reason. Use them. It's so simple. Use them. And it's very powerful. What's amazing about a dreamer such as yourself is that one dream will often turn into another. I'm specifically referencing your Shift the Power campaign to change philanthropy. You've been called disruptive and even radical in your quest to get resources to communities to solve problems. Tell me more about that. Oh, yes. Um, So... (laughs) It's, I think it's, it's that coming from that place of funders are not used to having this put in, in, in front of them. And definitely not from some unknown African woman. It's, it's, it's right there in their faces. And so what I, what I got was a lot of pushback uh, on that. And I got called all of those things, disruptive or not. Uh, in reality, this is a conversation that needs to be had. Um, it, it really doesn't bother me because if I'm being disruptive, then I'm being disruptive in, 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 in the right way. For me, when people, whether it's a government or their individual uh, donors giving money, they want to see that that money is being put to good use. And uh, I, I'm just not sure that, that what has been going on with all of the piling on organizations in the global south 
this aid has been going on for what, for over what half a century. Wow. I uh, there are so many NGOs right now, and I can tell you the bulk majority of them are located in um, in capital in in, a, in large cities and capital cities. So, what time do they really have to do this work in these communities? The organizations that actually do the work are the community-based organizations, and yet, interestingly, you will find that often their operating expenses are not covered. Mm -hmm. When they are covered for the INGOs and all the other organizations that come before them. So can we change that and make sure that the funding actually goes to the communities? Can we change it so that we don't have to hire somebody from the United States to come in and sink a borehole or dig a pit that we're in? It's, it's, it's the mechanism that is fundamentally flawed. There is enough money going out there. Can we make effective and efficient use of it? And just for saying that, um, I'm disruptive. So hey, that's a badge I'm willing to take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. You, you have big dreams and you're making big changes in your community, in your country. And you're asking the right questions and you're saying things that are disruptive because you recognize the fact that the existing system is not working. And so you're going to shake, you know, feathers and you're going to, you know, challenge the status quo, which isn't working. So I commend you for that. Do you have any advice for listeners who may not have the courage to, to be so bold? <laughs> When I participated in the American Express Leadership Academy last year in Johannesburg, we were gifted uh, a book by the Academy written by Jay Naidu. The title is Organizing Tomorrow Today. My thing is, while fundamentally, if a movement in America, poor people in America want the same things as poor people in Africa, we want to send our kids to school. We want them to have access to medical and, and health care. When Jay Naidu gave me his book, he autographed it and then he wrote Courage. And you just referenced that. I didn't tell you that, but you just referenced that. I think people who want to bring about change in their communities, people who want to lead, courage is really, really important. Courage to stand and speak. And for me, this was also part of my lesson from the academy. I, I, I learned a lesson that uh, then that my, my, my voice speaking has power. The physicality of my voice has value. Me standing up to say, maybe look at this, maybe look at that. Can you imagine what happens when all of us without the courage finally have the courage and we speak up about all of these things that we are not happy about, whether it's access to education, access to healthcare, misogyny, and so on and so forth. What happens when we all stand up and have the courage to speak? So for anybody really wanting to do something like that or something like this, whether you are in Brazil or you are in Angola, whether you are in Italy, courage, really, really important. That was Mbao Angola, a dreamer whose dreams are changing the world. I have to say, I left that interview with a rush of adrenaline and just feeling emotionally inspired. 
I promise you that this will not be the last time you hear her name. Like Mbao, my next guest also hopped on the dream train and hasn't stopped riding it. Albeit on different tracks, both of them recognize the difference between pursuing a vocation and following one's dream. One you lead with your head, the other you lead with your heart. And if you're really lucky, it leads you. When I think about living the dream, I think about Paul Verzi. He's a professional stand-up comic with an impressive resume and a career on the rise. He's appeared at the prestigious Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival as a number one album on iTunes and a hit Comedy Central special produced by none other than Bill Burr. Paul, how did it all start for you? Stand-up comedy something that I wanted to do very young, but like it was almost like too much of it. You can't even think of it when you're nine or ten, but you're just watching Eddie Murphy as a little kid and going, oh, my God, like that's amazing. And my dad was a big fan of uh, Rodney Dangerfield, Eddie Murphy. But I was a little kid, so I didn't even know. You know, my parents did always have like you could kind of do whatever you wanted to do. And I was always a kid, even young, that I was a dreamer. I was a dreamer. I was somebody that would like imagine, I would imagine and visualize myself in a position of, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say greatness, but maybe leadership or or maybe uh, just doing something that was, you know, that was against, you know, that was against all odds and, and, and thinking I can do it and I can be that in this weird way. Like I can be on stage telling jokes. I can, you know, I want to get into a movie. I want to act, but I want to do stand up. And I thought that I could do it. And here I am. And it, it really is amazing. It sounds corny and cliche, but it was like, wow, the, the work and the, and the sacrifice paid off. And now here I am, oh, you know, 20 years from the first open mic. I mean, probably like 16 years as a pro, 15, 16 years as a pro. And, uh, you know, here I am a nationally touring, um, you know, comedian li living my dream. So that that's pretty much how I think how it happened. Like the older I got, I saw some things that happened in my childhood and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. This is why I'm doing this. Humor and telling jokes was something that I just had the knack for. And I noticed that when I would speak, it made people change for the better. So you dropped out of college to pursue your dream. Tell me a little bit more about what that looked like. It's actually crazy because I, when I left college, I obviously needed to make money. I was a 21 year old kid. I was making like 50 some thousand dollars a year just as a door to door sales rep selling phone cable and high speed internet, like, like cable modems. Like, you know, it was like one of the first companies in like, I think they started in like 96. I got the job around 2000, you know, 2000, 2001, whatever. And it was like, you know, they put fiber optics in the ground and it's when you could combine your phone cable and internet. And I'm this 21 year old kid and I'm like, hey, they're gonna get more HBOs, they're gonna be able to hook up their telephone and they're gonna get faster internet and they can get all these cable channel packages, go sell them. And I was screwing off, I wasn't really doing good, I was about to be fired, I was, you know, lazy with it really because I just cared about comedy and I was knocking doors, which is not easy. And then, like everything in my life, when it gets hard and I'm told that you're going to get fired if you don't turn it on, and I realize, well, wait a minute, I, I don't want to get fired because then how am I going to make money? And um, they gave me a number that was almost unachievable. 
they were like, you got to get 41 units this week, which like 15 is great. 20 is unheard of. 41 is just not going to happen. So they want to fire me. But what I did was I went crazy and I didn't get the 41, but I put up a number that made them go, well, we got to give them another week. So you're working this job basically just to pay your bills while you're pursuing your actual dream of comedy. What made you be able to kind of stop worrying about paying your bills and 100% go for the comedy route? I just really look at things. Honestly, it's like, just go for it. What's the, cause the worst that's going to happen. And I don't know if you ever heard, um, Jim Carrey's commencement speech at that college. It's one of the most incredible things, but he talked about how his father wanted to, would have been a good comedian, but instead he took the safe road and he was an accountant. And then he ended up ultimately losing that job. And like he lost his job and like they were struggling and they lived in a car because of it or whatever. And he's going like, so if you would have just went for what you loved anyway, and that fails, you're still in the car. <laughs> so to get to another level is to get through the, I, I think, to just get through the fear and realize that uh, and, and believe in yourself and just know that, like, if it does get bad, um, you did it and you can keep going, you know. I feel like what you're saying is something I relate to in that if I'm going somewhere, what whether it's just like a business meeting or just a regular day at the office, it's like I want to show up and I want to do the best I can do. And it, and it's like, I know as long as I do the very best that I can do, that's all I can ask for, you know? Yeah. Because that's all that's in your control. When you do everything that's in your control and, and then there's nothing else to do, well, then that, that you can't beat yourself up for that. Then you could sleep, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I don't mean to keep making you feel, I'm not trying to embarrass you, excuse me, but the presentation that you gave about stand-up comedy, the reason why it was so good is because you left no stone unturned and you did everything in your power during that presentation. Like you put in the work and it's like when you talk to 500 plus or 600 comedians and you do the studying and you do the work that speaks for itself. Thank you. That's very kind. I was really nervous doing my TEDx. What advice can you give listeners who are pursuing their dreams and may feel insecure about their abilities? my favorite quote, and it's failure to prepare is preparing to fail. If you go into something half-assed, unprepared, it's going to show. And the flip side of that is when you go in with all of your T's crossed and your I's dotted and you're ready to go and you're, you're, gonna, you're going to win. And I think that that's what leadership is. I think a leader goes in ready. One of the best compliments that I've gotten is when, when somebody sees my show, and this is not at all to toot my own horn, this is experience. And this is just because I've been doing it for a while and, and I worked at it and, I, and I, I, I love the art and craft so much and I, I, I stay true to it and it's everything to me. So what happened was through all the work, the horrible things that happened and the amazing things that happened, one of the best you know compliments I get is, Hey man, like the, the guys that went before you were good, but when you grabbed the mic and you were up there, I knew that this, it was time for a headliner. And, 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 and so for me, it's like, yeah, because for me, anything less than that's not okay because that's what the people who pay to see me want to see. Uh, the people who know what I bring to the table and want to hear my thoughts, that's what I'm going to do. So um, you can absolutely 1000% sense 
when somebody does not have that. Because when I was early on, I didn't because of all the doubt and the questions and because of what you touched on earlier, the lack of trust in yourself. But then something happens when you're like, no, 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 I got this. This is my world. This is, this is what I do. And as opposed to, can I do this? So instead of asking yourself, can I do this? You're saying to yourself, this is what I do. This is who I am. You're saying to commit to it, you must actually believe it. Yeah, because if, if it falls flat, a couple of things are going to happen that are going to make you know. One, it's just going to fall flat. And two, you may go, you know what? This is not really something that I love and enjoy. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. But if there's something in you to not try something that you, that you dream and to not do anything in this, in this short life to, to fulfill yourself and make you go, wow, you know, I did that. I thought about it and I did it. And it feels amazing. I remember the first time I got on off stage, I go, wow, I just did something Richard Pryor did. And I know that it's in this small bar, but I can say in my life that I got on stage once and I did stand up comedy or at least tried it. And, and, and now to now where I am now. I was listening to your podcast, The Verzi Effect, and you were talking about who gave you advice about how you're like running the bases. You've already done all the hard work. Yeah. Now you're running the bases. Adam Ferrara saw me at a comedy club one night and I was about to shoot my special and he goes, uh, yeah, I go, I'm shooting my special. And he goes, what's wrong? So what's wrong? And he goes, you look nervous about it. What? And I go, well, you know, it's just a big night for me. I'm shooting it. And he goes, no, no, no. I already see that you look nervous. He goes, you already, he goes, you already hit the home run. You got the special and you're good enough to do a special. He goes, now just go run the bases and enjoy it. And that was a, that, yeah. And it was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, that's a very, it's like, I am here and I earned that spot. I worked hard enough. And, and now that I'm here, you know, but I always have, and I always will have a prove it. I have to prove it type of thing. I want to prove myself all the time. I want to, um, I just do. I just want to prove myself and I have to prove myself all the time because nobody's going to give me um, anything. This sounds similar to the psychology of getting a promotion. It's like you dream about getting a promotion or achieving a goal. And then when you finally get there, you have to kind of remind yourself that you made it there for a reason. You know, people believed in you. You earned it. You know, I've had people vouch for me. I've had people say, oh, he's funny. But nobody ever, you know, gave me something I didn't deserve. And, and, and so I, I kind of like that, though. And I kind of like that it was like, no, 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 go out there and constantly, because listen, when you constantly prove it and you're constantly undeniable, that can't be touched. You, you can't, when you're undeniable, that's exactly what that word is. It's undeniable. So when you have that, I'd rather have that than be like, ah, than, than have it be like an iffy thing. Or like, oh, maybe sometimes, or, oh, I've seen him do good once or twice. I don't ever want, for me, I'm in the wrong business. I'll take it this far. I'm not even in the business of laughs. For me, I'm in the business of killing. I want to kill. <laughs> I want to kill. I want people leaving there going, that's one of the funniest shows that I've ever been at in my life. And anything less than that for me, it's like, I, you know, I'll go back to sales. It's the same thing in everything in life. Sales. You know, even stand-up, when I go on stage and I just take the mic and I own the stage, um, it took me a while to really be able to just take it and own it and know that I'm the one that, that should be up here and all that stuff. But when it happened, it was great. 
You know, it was, it was a great feeling and you're right. It is, it is confidence. Do you feel like you're living the dream? It does. It feels like a dream and what I've accomplished, but I don't feel near done. You know, I'm a comedian that had a number one album on iTunes and, and, and a, and a record breaking special, but that can't be it. So now it's like, well, what am I going to do next? Well, the next one's going to be better. And I just want to get better at my craft. I love it. And this is what I do. And I've trusted myself. I trust myself now for a joke. I don't care about the crowd and I don't care about what people around me think of the idea. I go, no, this is funny. It's funny to me. And my gut of what's funny has kind of been working for 20 years and has made me achieve some really amazing things. So um, I'm almost a leader to myself now where I'm like, no, Paul, we're, you're going to go in there and you're going to do this. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. We can live with that. You know, by the way, I don't talk to myself like that. I'm not a lunatic. <laughs> I don't talk to myself in a th- I'm not a lunatic who's literally saying, come on, Paul. But you know what I'm saying? Like, my mind will say, let's do this. And then you go and you try to do it. And nothing is more gratifying than when that works. You know, I've, I've talked to you about um, short-term and long-term goals in life. Mm-hmm. And when you have those, yes, yeah, some you may fall short. Some of you may achieve the ones you fall short, you keep on the list and you keep going till you get them and you try to knock down everything that you can. You can't, you know, you can't knock somebody for doing that. That was Paul Verzi. If you haven't had the chance to see Paul perform Stand Up Live, I highly encourage you to do so. He is by far one of my favorite comedians. I'd like to thank all my guests for taking some time off from living their dreams to help encourage ours. One thing is for certain, your dreams can't come true if you don't make them come true. To truly live your dream, at some point, you must make it a reality. For a dream without a plan is simply a wish. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, He was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. This show is brought to you by the American Express Leadership Academy Alumni Network the Arizona State University Lodestar Center for Philanthropy and Nonprofit Innovation and LeaderStories.org. I'd like to thank all the people who make the show possible. Rick Bronson, my producer and co-writer. Caitlin Johnson, our engagement and associate producer. Michael Chang, our project and operations manager. And the good folks at Drift Compatible Productions, specifically our audio engineer, Buck Newman. Without their help and my incredible talent, (laughs) this show would not be possible. See you next time on Leader Voices. I hope that what you heard leaves you inspired to lead the way. For more information and to be in the know about the show, visit us at leadervoices.global.